You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I do admire the fact that I'm willing to look horrible and damaged. And I think that's a thing about this thing about being prepared to be vulnerable. It's a, it's a really, once you, once you decided to do it, it's not that big a deal. But it's a big leap to make, to actually just think, I am prepared to be very, very vulnerable. I wanna be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producers Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. That is today's guest, Alan Cumming, in his incredible and Tony Award winning performance in Cabaret. I will never forget that moment. I saw him in that show. I couldn't take my eyes off him the entire evening. It was an incredible performance. He is here today to talk to us all about how he does what he does, and what he does is a lot of different things. You are in for an exciting episode. This episode is sponsored by Sunlight Studios. With eight bright and spacious studios for rent, you can rehearse your next big Broadway hit knowing you're in very good hands and in a very good studio. To book a studio at Sunlight, visit sunlightstudios.com. It's sunlightstudios.com. And location, 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 right in the heart of the theater district. That's where it's located. It doesn't get more convenient than that. How about saving some money? If you use code Davenport, I wonder where they got that. Use code Davenport to receive a 5% discount on bookings until January 2nd, 2020. 5% discount if you use code Davenport at sunlightstudios.com. And now let's let Alan take us into Alan. Get it. We have no troubles here. Here, life is beautiful. The girls are beautiful. Even the orchestra is beautiful. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ken Davenport. This is a podcast and a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time because I remember the chats we used to have backstage at the Barrymore Theater. Please welcome to the podcast one of my favorite performers and one of my favorite people in the business, Mr. Alan Cumming. Welcome, Alan. Hello, Ken. Thank you. So I'm not going to go too deep into his bio because it would take about four Uh. years. But he's a Tony Award winner for his groundbreaking performance at Cabaret, three-time Emmy Award nominee for his role in The Good Wife, appeared in countless films from Spy Kids to Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion to uh, Eyes yeah. Wide Shut. Yes. A ton of them. Uh, his acclaimed Cabaret show, Legal Immigrant, was recorded live and just released on Audible. Get it now. Uh, and, of course, he played all the roles in his and John Tiffany's adaptation of Macbeth, which I had the honor of producing. Countless other credits include Having Your Own Soap. <laughs> coming this is true. Coming in a bar. Coming in a bar. <laughs> the soap. So let's not start at the beginning of the Alan Cumming story and let's just start with that. Soap. Yes. You have a nightclub. Yes. You have worked on stage I and in stream. You have a novel. Yes. You do a lot of different things. I do. What gives you what what is it in you? You not only do a lot of different things, you do them at a very high level. What do you think it is about you that allows you to pop from so many, from one thing to another and do it at such a high level? Well, I think that I, I really believe that what makes you, keeps you fresh and makes you interesting as an artist is your ability to understand different forms and uh, connect with different groups and to be eclectic. I think I've always... Even since I was a student, you know, the, at, at, at drama school, the course I did was not just acting, it was directing and writing and some teaching and, you know, and we did stage management. I'm just very aware of not wanting to be obsessed with one part of my work. And I think I, and I enjoy, I think everything I do helps the other parts of what I do. I mean, the soap thing. I think it's good because it sort of shows I've got fun and wit and, you know, and I am, I suppose, an entrepreneur in terms of I I have a bar and I have these, you know, but I also make my own work. I am a, an entrepreneur of my own art, if you like. You know, I write my own concert shows and I write books and I do these different things. And to me, it's all part of the same thing. I think I'm just, I'm like a storyteller for hire and I just feel that each disparate thing all comes back to just sort of being fascinated and interested in the world. But when you had this idea for soap, let's just stay on the soap, because yes. why not? I'm well afforded. What was the idea? What was the moment where you're like, ooh, I need to make soap? Well, it didn't, it, it didn't start with soap. It started with a fragrance. So that what happened was there was these boys I knew from Kiehl's. I used to work for Kiehl's. And um, one of them was called Christopher. And he is a perfumier and he had his own um, company and it was called I Hate CB it's called Christopher Brosius I Hate Perfume and I just got to know him and I thought it was fascinating he used to make these really sort of um, unique and kind of detailed smell there was one called you know 
brown paper. That was a fruit, that was one of the, and you would open this thing and it would smell of brown paper. I know that sounds crazy, but, and it was one called like London Pavement 1965 and things like that. <laughs> and uh, riding crop, which I find very alluring, let me tell you. And then, so I got friendly with him and then there was this other boy called Jason and he, he just, um, I remember we'd, we were up at my house in the Catskills one time and he said, I think you should do a fragrance and call it coming. And I said, that'd be hilarious. And, and he said, you know, we could do it. Christopher is a, a nose and uh, I could market it and you could be the coming part. So we did it. I, st- I sat down with Christopher and had all these little bottles and I did that thing where you sniff all the things and you tell him what you like. And he made this fragrance that's kind of earthy, leathery, peaty. It's got bergamot in it, which is the thing that I, I used to like from fragrances like Eau Sauvage and an early Dolce & Gabbana one that I used to wear in like the 90s. And I, I recognised all these different components. And so we made... And part of the whole thing was, it was I had a fragrance. It was kind of one of those things. People, celebrities have fragrances. But I was doing it kind of as a joke. I was trying to parody the idea of celebrity endorsement whilst at the same time actually doing it, which was, a you know... It's art and commerce at the same time, totally. actually. And also, so yes, and also pillorying the very thing that you're doing. I thought it was such fun. And I loved the fact, and we did these ads. I did this commercial, I filmed a commercial. It's me writhing around on a bed saying what's sexy and everything. And it's like, it's like those commercials that you see of people doing it. And there's, we, we also did these uh, series of... Um, Photos of me in uh, the kind of we sort of you know paid homage to all these different old fragrance ads. So it was me with a cigar, looking with a towel, you know, looking like the old Rose of Wagner's. Me like the Yves Saint Laurent one that he was naked in, and um, there's one that's a Calvin Klein obsession one, where there's a man lying on the floor with his with his dog. I know with his baby, and I did it with my dog. There were really great images by this great photographer called Steve Vaccarello. So I did all that. I did the, the campaign. I did the commercial. And then we had an actual product. We actually had it. So, But what I loved was when people said, is it real? I don't, is, it, is this a joke? And I thought that was great. And then, you know, it was actually kind of crazy because Sephora bought it. Like, it was in all these Sephora stores. And I had to go to all these stores and do signings. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> I just was, It was awful. I hated it. Going to Las Vegas and like sitting in a corner of a massive Sephora, a little table, and um, and then we did started. Then after that, the second round was like we had a we had a soap called Coming in a Bar, we had a, a body scrub called Coming Off Buff, we had a, a, a body wash called Coming Clean, and my favourite, a body lotion called Coming All Over, and those were the second wave of uh, products. But then, unfortunately, what happened was that one of our business team um, became a drug addict and uh, uh, some of the deadlines weren't met and um, so the kind of the business sort of fell up. I'm not really a very good, um, I have good ideas but I'm not a businessman and I, I wasn't, that wasn't really my department. So the kind of, um, the business side of it sort of fell off a bit after the initial uh, burst of success and that's why in my basement I still have hundreds of bars of coming in a bar. Do you ever, you say yes to a lot of things, obviously, which is great. I think I'm sure is one of the reasons you're so successful. Do you worry about something failing, like a business like that not leading to whatever you <clears throat> imagined it would when you said yes? I mean, I felt that was a failure. I mean, it was a, su- a huge success, and that we're still talking about it now. It was a, people really connected. It people got what I was meaning to do, which was to kind of make fun of something at the same time as celebrate it, you know. And I was. 
I was also saying, look at me, I'm a big sexy person, I've got a fragrance, but at the same time saying, isn't that ridiculous? So it was successful in that way, but it was a business failure, definitely. And I remember talking to my business manager about it, and he's always very, I always have these ideas, and he's always a bit like, uh, cautious. And I said, oh, come on, look, it just, it's like I had a very bad cocaine habit for about six months. That's how I look at things. If I lose money, I think it's just like a drug. It's, a, it's like, thank goodness, I don't have a drug problem, but I sort of try and think about it in terms like that. It's like, or like, you know, I have been divorced a couple of times in my life, and, that, and those are sort of tend to be things where you lose money or you you're, have less money than you thought you did. And I just sort of think it's like, you know, at least I didn't have to get divorced. At least nobody died. Um, it just, it was like... I was paying for someone else to have a drug habit, and I think that's fa fair enough. There's much worse ways to lose money than trying something new that yeah. could be exciting and fun. Yeah. And also, I as I say, I still have you know, I still have uh, the ability to gift people bars of soap for probably years to come. <laughs> After this episode, you'll probably have countless people emailing you saying, "I want it! I want it. you can drive the price up." I know, right? So rare now. I know. eBay, eBay. <clears throat> Do you get nervous when you perform now? Yes. I get very nervous when I do something new. I do get nervous. Um, I think it's, I think it's um, healthy to be nervous. I think it means you care. And I sometimes get very nervous. I mean, I used to get... What's the most nervous you've ever got? Do you remember? I remember performing at the Tonys, doing a song from the Three Penny Opera. Uh, and my legs were shaking so badly and uh, my voice I've seen it's on YouTube that you because the thing is that the Tonys they do this well you must know this but the, the, you know you sing you, you have a you, you have a thing that you do in the theatre and then when it comes to the Tonys it's got to be a truncated version the choreography is different there's suddenly you're you know you just it's all chopped up and changed and you have so little rehearsal and in this uh, song from the Three Penny Opera Normally it went dun 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 and I could decide when I came in. And saying so long ago da 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 But in this time it was to a tape, it was to a click track. And I had I had this dun 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 and I had to come in. And I realised that when I walked out the audience started to cheer and I was freaked out that I wasn't gonna hear the tape and I was gonna fuck it all up. And I was just so nervous, and my legs were shaking. My, my legs were actually like, it was like a cartoon. And I don't know what, I think it was something to do with this idea of being ill-prepared. That's why I, when I get most nervous, it's when I'm ill-prepared, because I don't feel confident. And I think when you're best as a performer, it's when you feel confident about what you're doing. So that was really terrible. And then I remember the first time I actually did a concert, my first, uh, I did a thing at the, I decided after sort of thinking about it for years that I should do, you know, Alan Cumming does a concert. And it was the Lincoln Center American Songbook people asked me to do a thing at the, at the uh, you know, the Allen Room, it's not called the Allen Room anymore, but it's called, you know, that place uh, by the Rose Theater, at the Jazz at Lincoln Center. So it's amazing, beautiful view, it's a great honor. And I, whilst I was, so I was opening my first ever concert at the Lincoln Centre, and then whilst I was doing it, the uh, uh, Lance Horn, who was playing for me, musical directing for me then, he uh, was doing something with the Mardi Gras Festival in Sydney, and they heard that I was doing the show. So 
because of that, they approached me. And my second date of my ever doing it was the Sydney Opera House. So I did, <laughs> I did Lincoln Centre and Sydney Opera House as my two first um, things as doing it. And that's kind of indicative of my life. Like I don't, I just, I'm balls to the wall. I just, you know, I just, I just go for it. And so I remember, and it was the, my manager at the time was the person who really said, you should do this. And it's a great way, like they give you money to prepare a show and get a, you know, all the parts for the band and everything. And so I did it. And um, she came to see me right before, she came to my dressing room. And um, she said, how are you doing? And I went, I want to punch you in the face. I actually said that to her, <laughs> so terrible. But I just was so, thought, why am I doing this? And then when we went to the side of the stage, for the first show, the band went on to sound check, and I was standing there with a little, you know, little techie man with his headset on, and I, I just looked at him, and he, and, he, and he said, he said, yeah, we're standing by, and I went, I could just run right now, couldn't I? I could just run out of this building right now, and no one would know, and I, I could tell he was like, oh my god, I've got a crazy one here, but I did it, but I, that was terrible, that was really really bad, and I think I don't know, there's various. When I did Macbeth first in Glasgow, I was that was terrifying because also I just thought I don't know if I can do this, you know, physically. And I'm doing it's interesting. I'm really intrigued about this notion right now of why artists, some artists, do these things that are so challenging to them to the point of that they might fail. I certainly have done that. Like Macbeth was definitely something that was a huge, ridiculous. I mean stupid thing to try and do but it went okay and but now and what I'm going to do is um, my next one is in, in 2021 uh, I'm going to do a solo dance piece yes I know you. Uh, <laughs> people can't see me right listeners, now yes, my, my jaw like, just hit the floor his eyebrows were like up yeah. into the roof well, well I yes I'll be 56 years old and I'm doing a solo dance piece and how trained of a dancer are you not none I mean, no. I did some, you know, learned to do a gavotte at drama school or things like that, and, you know, did movement classes. And I've danced in things, like sure. in cabaret, and I've done a couple of things over the years, so I've done a little bit of dancing. Are you at Steps, like, every day, or Broadway Dance Centre, like, with No, the I will kids? be. I went to, um, I went to, I did my first dance class in a thousand years at the Paul Taylor Dance Company uh, downtown, and uh, I was, <laughs> I was... I mean, it was actually went quite well. I, it was a few of the steps I couldn't get. I wasn't, I couldn't keep up on the steps. Cause I'm not sort of very old favorite. But in terms of the actual physical activity of it, I, was, I felt not too bad. I was exhausted, but I was the oldest person there by pr at least twenty five, if not thirty years, and that was like that was kind of galling. But I'm doing this thing. I'm doing a with Stephen Hoggett is going to uh, choreograph it. It's going to be about based on Robert Burns, the Scottish poet. Um, I chose him so I could speak and sing as well. <laughs> so, um, and I'm doing it, it actually happens at the Joyce Theatre, you know, the home of contemporary dance in New York City. That's when I'm, that's who's initially commissioned it. And I'm going to also probably do it at the Edinburgh International Festival in 2021. So I'm, that's, that's something like, why am I doing that? Yeah, why? I, it's this balls to the wall idea that you said before. So where did, where did that come from? Do you remember, were you... A confident kid? Were you uh, scared? Like, where all of a sudden did this gene come from? I I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think 
I didn't always feel like this. I, but then I feel sort of, you know, I, I did things without realising they were big deals. I sort of, I mean, I certainly, when I was a child, I felt I didn't have confidence like that. But I sort of feel that once I got away, I had a very sort of, you know, difficult childhood. My father was very violent and it was kind of, he was obviously sort of mentally ill in some way. And I, so when I got away from all that, I felt very liberated and sort of, and I went, I, I left and went to drama school. And so suddenly I was, you know, with people that I felt comfortable with and I related to and I was doing things that I found exciting. So I, and I, very early on, I did a thing that was very scary. I, me and my friend at drama school did a stand-up stand comedy double, <coughs> double act. And that's terrifying. We would often walk on stage not really knowing what we were going to say. I'd often start playing a song at the piano and not really knowing if I, was, if I knew the chords. <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. So it was, it was, it was um, I think that's probably the start of it. I, you know, I, I thought, what's the worst thing? You can just, you have to admit to the audience. That's what you have to do. You have to admit to the audience that you're not confident you're going to be able to do this. And I think if you're vulnerable like that and you make a joke of it, then it's actually like at the end of this uh, legal immigrant uh, recording on Audible. I wanted to do one of those things that you know. Remember at the end of CDs when we used to play CDs, there sometimes used to be a secret track, Ooh, a little Easter egg. Yes. So I wanted to do that. And so we have one at the very end of it. It's not, you know, credited or anything. And um, I, I told the audience that, but, but I just decided on the day of the recording, of the first day of the recording, that's what I wanted to do. But I hadn't really, didn't, hadn't really practiced the song very well. So I started, <laughs> so I started to play it. And um, we started, the band started to play it and I started singing and I, I fucked up and I had to start again. I thought, oh, sorry. Then I started again, I fucked up again. I fucked up three times. And then, um, and then the fourth time I looked at the words because I just thought, oh. and I finally got it. And it's actually really lovely. I love at the end, I go, thank you for indulging me. And Did I you feel, keep the fuck ups on the... Yes. That's the best. Yeah, I, I insisted that, that we keep them on the thing. And I think that's what, I think that's a good sort of, sort of, you know, metaphor for me that I think it's really important to not, not, not try to... Uh, pretend you're perfect actually show your imperfections so that makes you a more interesting person you talked about confidence or preparedness being important for a performer or an artist so what do you do to prepare for something so that your legs aren't shaking how do you go through the prep for a role um, well you just I mean the leg shaking thing I don't, I don't think you can actually avoid I mean it's, it's not always it's usually not my legs it's usually not that bad also, I had such tight trousers on for that thing. That made it even more obvious, I think. <laughs> Usually, I, do, I can disguise my... But it's more just, you know, the feeling that you're going to vomit, poop, pee, faint, uh, or, you know, some... You know, those bodily functions are just about to go into chaos. I don't know that you... I mean, the, thing, the only thing that makes that easier is, is uh, the confidence in doing it. Um, but in terms of preparing like I'm about to go to London and do this play uh, Endgame by Samuel Beckett and I I mean I had a little meeting about it last night I'm going to be you know I'm, I'm in a chair I am blind I'm sort of my ears are bleeding my eyes are bleeding I'm just bossing little Daniel Radcliffe around I I don't and I'm you know the, really the only thing is about, it's such a vocal piece because that's the only thing I you know you actually can't see my eyes it's 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 the 
top of your torso and, and your voice. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I'm quite a physical uh, type of performer and I won't, I won't be able to do my normal stuff because like the lower half of my body will be invisible because it doesn't move. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I just feel like just immersing yourself in the material. I actually feel like I'm one of these people that I, I just sort of, like I, I just let it kind of by osmosis come on to me, and I, I, I suddenly think, oh, I've made a decision about that, and I hadn't quite realised. And it's like Richard Jones who's directing it wants us to learn as much as we can before we start, which I find very difficult because learning and I'm quite a quick study, luckily, but learning in a vacuum is always quite hard. I guess you have to do it when you do films, but you know, a day on a film set is nothing like a Beckett play in terms of the amount you've got to learn. But I don't know. I just dive in. You just have to dive in. I think that's it. Don't. And also, I'm not. I don't. I'm not afraid to look foolish. You know, I don't. I'm not vain. Like it's so funny. I was talking to someone about Macbeth and about how I looked at the end of it in the curtain call. I looked like I've been hit by a truck. It's not an attractive look, and I. When I look at that and I look at you know what things I've done. I actually admire myself," <laughs> he said very arrogantly. But I admire the—I do admire the fact that I'm willing to look horrible and damaged. And I think that's a thing about this thing about being prepared to be vulnerable. It's a—it's a really once you once you decided to do it, it's not that big a deal. But it's a big leap to make to actually just think I am prepared to be very very vulnerable. And that's the thing in life as well, you know, when you open yourself up to someone. But it's like opening yourself up to. A, a whole audience or a whole experience it's so funny you say that that once you open your once you get ready or are prepared to open yourself up it's not a big deal because one of my favorite moments for Macbeth you will not recall this at all but knowing that this was such a beast of a role and a performance I used to call it the, that you were doing the Olympics of the theater yeah. I didn't want to bother you backstage if I had something to talk to you about and I remember coming right through the past door and it must have been like 30 seconds before you were going to go on. And who showed up but Liza? <laughs> and Liza wanted to say hello to you. And you and you were like, Liza, it's oh, and you were waving, waving. And you're like, I've got to go on now. <laughs> and you literally, I watched you just, the smile disappeared and you turned and you walked out and then delivered that performance. Mm. And I've just never seen someone be able to turn a switch like that before. I think that's I think that's absolutely what you've got to be able to do. I do think there was there was a hilarious thing that years ago I did a, a, an old coward play for the roundabout um, called uh, Design for Living, and there was a woman um, Maria Aitken who was this uh, English actress. So I think it worked with Noel Coward, but, or anyway, she was kind of an expert on Noel Coward and done a lot of him and and all that sort of comedy. And, and there was a thing she said called SNET. I always remember this. It was style, naturalism energy and turning on an emotional sixpence <laughs> it's such a stupid acronym I thought it was hilarious but the idea of just in a second going to someone else and you you know going I suppose it's harder to go to a dark place I don't have a I, I can do that and I feel it's it's a thing of just I don't overthink it I just think now I'm doing this and I, and I go and that's actually why I really like cabaret, the form of cabaret, because I think that's what you've got to do, you know, in this legal immigrant show or, or, or the other ones I've done, 
you know, one minute, you're, ah, I'm telling a hilarious monologue about my testicles. And then the next thing I'm talking about, you know, something really intense and about how I feel about my Scotland and about my education or or in the last show I, I sang, a, I told a story about my father and then sang this really, you know, difficult song to sing about um, that Rufus Wainwright wrote about his dad. So you've got to be able to just go there. And I love that. I love the fact, and for an audience as well, I, I do enjoy seeing it when you're laughing uproariously, the next minute you're provoked, the next minute you're just like, oh, weeping. That's what I think it's all about. The range of it, the eclecticism of it. But I just feel it's, um, I don't know, I don't know. I remember the moment, actually, um, in 1986, I was doing a play at the Royal Lyceum Theatre in Edinburgh, uh, and I, w- I graduated from drama school in 1985. So it's like a year, and I'd done a play before, anyway, about a year or so into my professional career. And I remember I was playing this new play called Mr. Government, and I remember, <laughs> like, in the middle of a matinee one day, I suddenly, th- I was on stage, and I just sort of thought, oh, this is how you act. And I just, that's when I realised something happened. I connected to how I, there wasn't a thing. I wasn't trying to do an effect. I wasn't try, I was just being this person and it was coming out. So I was playing someone who's sort of, um, you know, troubled and sort of had learning difficulties and was very upset. And all of a sudden I just did it. I just got it. And I just remember thinking, oh, I see, I got this all wrong. I used to think it was all about putting things on top of yourself. And um, and actually, it's about letting yourself come through. What about the people who say there's? Uh, well, let me ask this a different way. You're very successful across all the mediums: television, film, stage. Which is my favorite? Which is your favorite? <laughs> no, is why do some people make that jump and others don't? Is there a different form of acting for it, or is that actually bullshit? I think it's bullshit. I I find that. Obviously, you play to your to the room. You know what I mean. You you you, you bring it down. But I, I I mean I have a there's a saying as I get older as well. I think many of the I think back to you know when I was a baby actor in in Scotland and in the first job I did, which was the production of Macbeth, when uh, or the first theatre job I did um, in at the Tron Theatre in Glasgow, and I played Malcolm. I was twenty years old. I was surrounded by all these old salty old. Scottish actors, all these ones who'd come through into the dressing room with a pint of lager, you know, to get their makeup on and everything. And there was two things that the these I learned from these old guys. And um, one was, you can be as big as you like as long as you mean it. And I absolutely believe that. I feel like, you know when you see something in real life and you think, oh my God, if this was in a movie, no one would believe it. That's that, right? So you can, if, if you are connected and genuine and authentic and mean it you can be you can do anything you can do the hugest thing and I feel that's really really true and then the other thing is that there was a lot I could there was a scene and I couldn't it didn't work and I couldn't say the line properly or get the line right and this actor said to me ah Alan do it with a look which means do it with a look so just just like don't bother about the line just look and have the feeling that you mean in your look, and that'll do it. And I absolutely believe in that too. I mean, there's so much, especially on television, you know, you, or film, you you have to trust that just what's on your face, what's what you're thinking, it comes out of your, of your face, that's enough. And I do think that's something that, I think maybe some people 
I think you maybe try too hard, you know. I think so. I think a lot of the way that people think about acting, especially in this country, is this. You know, they say, say I always say when people say to me, "What's your process?" I say, I, "I'm not a cheese. I have no process." And I think there's this idea that you, there's all these things that you put on yourself, and it's sort of an almost an affectation. It's something that you, you're sort of something outside of you that you're using to project something rather than just projecting something rather than just being you and I think that the overthinking of acting can sometimes be disconnecting for an audience and if you just date with a look um, that, that's it you know that's all that's all you need and, this, and even in you know it's not just in film in the theatre as well you just have to trust that you know when you and also when you, you know when you go there's certain people you, you're in a room and, you, and, and someone can't hide what they're thinking on their face that's a great quality as an actor I have to say mm. because you know you have to be able to do that in films and sometimes you don't have any lines I was just I just did a film last year in China with Jackie Chan he was directing this film and it was in Chinese I was, I was speaking English but or I said a couple of things in Chinese but there was scenes where I didn't know like I, I read what the other people were saying but it seemed I would do a, a take and then they would talk and I realised they were giving them extra lines to say and I didn't know what they were and so I was just reacting in my close up to people talking in a language and I didn't know what they were saying but I just sort of did, did, it, with a, did, did it with a look yes <laughs> do you read reviews? yes you do? Uh huh. so you, do you want that feedback? why? why? I think it's important to not give them that much power not to be scared of them not to go through their life trying to avoid them I think for me I like to know how I'm perceived how what I'm doing is perceived in the world I like it's, it's also like I watch myself I mean I don't always watch myself you know because it's too much of it but you mean television on television yeah, like it, I watch I, you know I, I, I think it's important to try and understand that what you intend when you're acting comes across and in film and television you can do that and I guess with reviews, that's how that's the equivalent because I'm intrigued to see how what I've, what my, what I'm doing, how it's being received, how it's being perceived, how I'm being perceived, and also what my sort of power is. You know, if my, is my power that I have I affected people in the way that I thought, and is you know things like that. I think are really important to to for me to understand. And I feel also you know with reviews that if you believe the good ones, you have to believe the bad ones. And so for me, they are, sometimes they make me furious, other, and, but not for long. And I feel that it's actually really important to not give them that much, I mean, they are powerful, but not to give them, not to make them, the idea of not reading them and trying to avoid them and, oh, don't let me see, I find that gives them too much power. It's just some, you know, we have a saying in, another saying in Scotland, like, you know, reviews are tomorrow's chip paper. Like the, the things they wrap your fish and chips up in the next day. <laughs> We've got some great sayings over there. I know we do, don't we? <laughs> Should write another book. I know, maybe Scottish, <laughs> Scottish right. sayings. How I formed my acting around Scottish sayings. <laughs> the Scottish method. Uh-huh. Yeah, the acting. Scottish process. In a pub with lager. Yeah. What is still on the Alan Cumming artistic bucket list? Um, well... I mean, the dance thing, because I sort of felt with the dance thing, I sort of thought, I've got one... When I did Cabaret the last time, 
you know, I turned 50 during it and I was thinking, look at me, I'm like the lead dancer on a Broadway show. I'm in a kick line with girls half my age. Is this it? Is this as fit as I'm ever going to be? Is this the, you know... So the dance thing was a sort of a, I guess, a bucket list. I don't, I don't really like the bucket list notion. It sort of feels like that you're saying, I want to do something before I die. It sounds like a challenge to you in a way. Because you yes. said, that I remember uh, Cabaret was starting to bubble when you were doing Macbeth. And yes. I remember you saying, I want to do it because I'll be 50. I want yes. to get in that outfit that was one of the reasons. I'm 50. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I did it was because I was going to turn 50 when I was doing it. So it sounds like you challenge yourself all over the place. I do. And I'm really intrigued by the idea of why people do that. I want to talk to, I want to make a documentary actually about um, the, 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 me getting doing this dance piece and also um, talk to other artists about what, why they feel they challenge themselves in these ways. And what, is that the way that you feel vital, that keeps you vital? Probably is. Like the fear that you might completely fail. I mean, it's a bit sort of like, a, what do you call those lemmings? It's a bit of a lemming sort of thing. But um, I don't know, I just, uh, it's the only way I can really function, actually. But I don't know, I mean, other things I... I um, it's so funny, I used to say, <laughs> years ago, people say, oh, is there any roles you really want to, you know? And I could never think, I would always say, well, I, you know, of course, King Lear. And of course, now King Lear's not that far off. And I actually, I don't want to play King Lear, I think it's a boring old fart. I don't like that play, it's boring. And uh, so I must stop saying that. So uh, not King Lear. I would I would actually quite like to do. I had this idea where I would like to do like a rep like like here in New York like do a repertory company like to do parts parts I'd always wanted to play that I kind of missed like I'd like to play Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I think it's one of those parts that you could play when you're a decrepit old person. It'd be kind of interesting, and then you know. Uh, some Chekhov you want I can't remember which one I wanted to do but stuff like that, that you, to, but to do it in repertoire and just have a year where you do maybe like five plays and then you would have you know a two-hander so that people would get a rest and I just think it'd be I think Ian McKellen did it a wee while ago at the National Theatre in London he did a sort of repertory company for it and it was hilarious because um, uh, Ian was playing say he was playing you know King Lear in one of the plays and it was so great, you know, he's, he's, Ian's playing King Lear one thing and he's playing a servant in the next play. And the person went, oh, what is the next play? And he went, it's a play called The Servant. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like think, I would like to do, I think it would be great to do, to see people, to, for people to come back, you know, a few times in a year and see people in different, truly in repertoire. We don't really have that in America, certainly not kind of on in, on Broadway or, or in, in New York, actually. It's not a thing. Um, and it would be a commitment because people would have to give up a year of their lives to do it. So but that's, that, that sort of intrigues me. But apart, apart from that, I feel, you know, I've got this production company now and, and there's some really interesting things that I want to, but they're not really always with me in them. Just things that I, you know, want to sort of work, kind of help people great writers and performers that I feel are partly people who perform at Club Coming. Um, there's this show, I kind of want to do this vegan cooking show. Like I want to talk about, I want to do a, like a vegan cooking show, but also talk to like, you know, uh, nutritionists and people talking about the effects of the dairy industry and the environment. And, you know, I want to kind of do a, a sort of holistic vegan cooking 
Sure. You really are an entrepreneur. You said that I was going to ask you, or like, what do you call yourself? And you said an entrepreneur. I tend to throw out this word entrepreneur often. That's this artist entrepreneur. Oh, entrepreneur. Combo. I like that. That's good. But you really do. <clears throat> Do, do you tell people you're an actor? Do you, is that how you would define yourself if someone uh, asked that? You yeah, could? I mean, if, if people ask, if people don't know, you know, if they're pretending they don't know, that's something yeah. that gets on my tits. Um, do people do that? People do it. Oh, they'll do like, I, oh, I know you from somewhere, and they go, oh, really? And then if you don't play the game, if you just go, oh, no, I don't think we've met. Uh, and then they're like, damn, I missed my chance. And then they go, I love you in Spy Kids. And they think, oh, fuck you. You knew who I was all along. Don't, you know what I mean? I, that's worse. I think, I, I, believe me, I love it when people don't know. I mean, my worst thing is when people don't know and it's nice and they're just treating you like a normal person and then they realise and they freak out, not only that it's you, but also that they've not known you and they're sort of whipping themselves, as flagellating themselves as well as being gushy. It's a terrible combo. And um, so I, I, I mean, it's, it's hard and there's few places in the world where I can go and actually people just don't know you it's you know I guess it's this form of success in one way as well but I really miss I mean it's constant constant thing of just dealing with it in your life it's hard it's hard uh, uh, yeah I mean uh, it's so funny I had lunch with this boy who is a friend of mine he actually the I've never met him, but he was in his mother's tummy the last time I saw him. He's 27 now. And, he, and he's, uh, he was in New York and he looked me up and I had lunch with him today. He's called Jamie. And uh, his dad wrote, actually when I did Macbeth uh, the first time in Glasgow in 1985, his dad wrote this companion play called Macbeth Possessed, which was about a, the production of Macbeth being taken over by the spirits of... Queen Gruach and the real Macbeth and they kind of, you know, took us over and tried to make us tell the real story of Macbeth in this play. Um, but, so I was with this person I've never met and he said to me at one point, he said, you know you're really famous, Alan. And I was like, I know. And, um, and when we're outside and we're taking a photo, taking a selfie together to send to his mum and dad and like people went past and were saying, Alan, we love you and things, nice things like that. And, and he sort of, reacted to it in a way that was just like and I was like thank you you know just like and he went oh my god does this happen to you all the time and I was like yeah it does like every I walk my dogs and so the level of I guess what I mean is I mean I don't I hate when actors are going oh it's so terrible but I feel it's also appropriate that you can in a forum like this say the level of self-consciousness that, you, that I live with is huge like I walk out of my house and I'm just aware that people are staring at me or not just shouting at me saying, saying nice things they're always usually I mean 99.9% .9 of the time it's very lovely people say nice nice things they, I, am, I am loved I feel beloved you know but yet I can never just be anonymous and I feel one of the things that I think makes you a, a good actor is being able to observe people and it's hard to observe when you're being observed just people don't behave in the same way so I, I find ways to do that. I mean, I think it's interesting, like my, with my bar, when I go to club coming, I, people say, oh, you go behind the bar and you serve, and that's nice. I love being a barman. I've always wanted to be a bartender. <laughs> and all these, you know, I say to my friends who've been waiters or bartenders or caterers, you know, I've always wanted to do that, and they're like, oh, fuck off. 
How we, dare you? We put you behind the box office window for a promotion. Macbeth. I love so that. Fun. I love that. See, I love doing things like that. So when I go into Club Coming, I love making drinks. I love pressing the buttons on the little screen and the till and everything. It really does please me. I'm not just making that up. But also what it does is that it gives me, allows me to be in a very public place, but there's a barrier. You know, I can engage with people, but I have a, it's also like when I DJ, I, I, I do DJing. I love DJing parties. And I sometimes get employed in a substantial, a substantial stipend. And, but there's a barrier again, that you're in the DJ booth, you know, and I dance away, but it's a, it's a great way to be present and be a part of everything, but to not be, to be bothered or to be, you know, so it's kind of weird that you have to, I've invented these ways to be able to feel very present in situations, but be able to function in a way that I can still have fun. All right, my last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you. Yes. And thanks you for all your incredible contributions to the American theater, <laughs> the Scottish theater. Uh, what's the one thing that drives you crazy about Broadway or about New York theater that you'd ask this genie to wish away in an instant? The thing you hate the most? It's not, I wouldn't say hate. I wouldn't say hate, but I wish, <laughs> I wish that people just didn't stand up all the time at the end of things. I feel that it just, I feel sometimes I stand up because everybody else is standing up. And I feel also because it's me, it would be, you know, more of a get back to the people that I didn't stand up. I don't want to stand up sometimes. I don't feel it deserves me standing up. I don't feel it deserves all the people around me standing up. But I feel it's just a thing we do nowadays. It's like clapping, instead of just clapping politely at the end of something to say thank you very much, we have to stand up. And standing up, a standing ovation is taken as this, oh my goodness, we've got a standing ovation. And actually it's, it's sort of um, devalued the thing. And so I wish there was some way that we could, um, not just for the people who are being applauded, but for the audience as well, to understand that, you know, that to sort of, you can be polite and you can thank the people for this thing. You don't have to give the highest compliment that you can give all the time because that's, it's like another Scottish phrase, which is, if you, uh, if you eat mints all the time, you won't know steak when you see it. What a great way to end the podcast <laughs> on a, another Scottish phrase. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for being here. Thank you you are beloved by everyone out oh, there, without a you. doubt. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Go and listen to Legal Immigrant on Audible. I'm such a huge Audible fan. By you are. Oh, yeah, all the time. Uh, Legal Immigrant now available on Audible. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you again to the Alan Cumming for sitting down with me today. If you are looking for the perfect gift to give the Broadway fan in your life this holiday season, guess what? You should get them. Broadway's favorite board game. That's right. It's Be a Broadway Star. Beabroadwaystar.com. Broadway's favorite board game and also Broadway's only board game. If you're excited about this season of podcast guests and want more folks just like Alan on it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other theater makers around the world find us and help spread the word about all the things that our theater makers are doing and will help get us some more great guests just for your listening pleasure. If you want to follow more of what I'm doing, you can follow me on Instagram at Ken Davenport B-Way, or check out my blog at theproducersperspective.com and a big tip, subscribe to it. Best way to get it delivered is via email. And now, 
This week's hashtag songwriter of the week, we are going to break yet a new musical theater songwriter out there. And this week's is Joey Contreras. Check out his song Joyride from his latest EP, Joyride. Available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you stream your music. If you like what you hear and want to learn more about him, check out Joey Contreras. That's J-O-E-Y-C-O-N-T-R-E-R-A-S.com or at Joey Contreras on Instagram. Go check him out. Like his stuff. Spread his stuff. Let's get these emerging songwriters some attention because they're working their pianos off. Enjoy his tune. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.